This episode of Back to the Point is brought to you by Homecoming Alumni and Family Weekend here at BC High on October 19th. Um, it's going to be a great weekend. There's a lot going on. There's a soccer game. Uh, all I know is there's a bouncy house because I mentioned this to my son and he's he won't stop asking me about it. He says, you know, Daddy, when are we going to BC High to go on the bouncy house? And I, I think I got to. So I'm going to be here. That's what I'm saying. Um, we want alumni there. We want your families there. It's going to be a great weekend. Um, and they're a sponsor of the pod, which is great. Uh, today we're going to talk to BCI's brand new principal, Adam Lewis. Uh, he's actually sitting right across from me. I'm very excited to uh, dig in with him. We're going to cover a lot of ground, so I hope you're ready. Ready to go. Ready All right, go. let's yeah. do it. All right, here we are. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, Adam Lewis, new principal of BC High. How you doing? I'm well, thanks, Rick. Yeah, how are you? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing great. Obviously, last year, Mr. Hughes, or at the end of last year, Mr. Hughes retired. Yeah. And you, uh, soon thereafter, were, were kind of chosen to come in and, and fill that role. Um, I, I kind of want to start there. What was the process with bringing you from where you were to BC High? Yeah, I was in New York, Rick, uh, at Loyola School, which is a Jesuit school in Manhattan. So I'd been there for the last two years and had obviously seen the job advertised. Uh, I'd had two years here uh, in Boston in 2009 and 2010, not at BC High, but studying at Boston College. So we'd always planned to come back to Boston. Our eldest son was born here. It occupies a really special place in our heart. And uh, for us, it was always going to be BC High or nothing because we wanted to be in Jesuit education. So... Mm. When the, the position uh, was advertised, I had some conversations with the, the recruiting company and the person who led that search, and I guess from there, one thing led to another, and I was blessed to, to ultimately get the role. So very lucky. I mean, as you said, uh, to, to come in some pretty big shoes, right? Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say it, but we're here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, it was funny. The other day, I was here at, uh, on a Sunday. We had some parents here, and, and one of the parents paralleled it to... Um, someone coming into the Pats after Tom Brady, you know, so that didn't make me feel great at all, but uh, it sort of emphasised how big the shoes are. But it's uh, it feels a bit like that at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you interact with Mr. Hughes at all? Yeah, so I, I'd known Steve for, for a number of years, actually. Uh, when, when I was here in Boston in 2009 and 10, I met him. I was, you know, I was studying at BC, but I was down at BC High doing some work. So, so I met him, but, you know, wouldn't pretend to have known him well at that point. But... When I was at Loyola for the last two years, we were at, you know, common principals gathering, Jesuit gatherings. So I got to know him, him, him much better over that time. Did he have any advice for you coming into this role? Yeah, I mean, I spoke, that, you, that that you're you're willing to share. <laughs> some, some I can't share, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, he was he was overwhelmingly positive about the place, of course, um, of course. Uh, and you know, I think. You know, you're not going to get someone who's as passionate about Jesuit education as Steve, and, and I feel very passionate about Jesuit education as well. So we sort of had that common ground. Uh, he was very encouraging um, of, you know, my, my application. Uh, he, he just wanted someone good, good in the seat, I guess, and, and so he was encouraging to that end and, and also gave me some good context about the place. Yeah. You know? um, and, and no one really knows it better. So that, that, I, I really appreciate appreciate how generous he was with his knowledge about the place for sure that's great for sure yeah um where did you live in boston when you were here back back yeah. earlier so we originally were in brighton 
Yep. Uh, and then we... That we, makes sense if you're at BC. Yeah, I'm a BC, BC. I'm a BC guy as well. Oh, just go. so you know. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Now we were on Commonwealth Avenue there. And, yep. Uh, that was fine. And in the second year, we moved to a, uh, just to a little one-bedy apartment uh, near Brookline Hills. Oh, yeah. And so AD, my wife, was working at the Mass Ironier Infirmary. She's a nurse. So we were based there and I was doing some study. I mean, it was a wonderful time of our life. It was... Uh, pre-kids um, Isaac was born at the at, at the end of that <laughs> not that kids aren't wonderful no no I absolutely adore my, absolutely adore my children but they've been their own challenges as you know oh of and, course uh, yeah and so it was just it was just a really wonderful time and it was funny because I was at Clongo's in Ireland uh, before B, before we moved to Boston that's a Jesuit school in Ireland it's, and I was there for eight years that was my first uh, real engagement with Jesuit education and as it turned out it was a pivotal moment in my life uh, both professionally and personally but after eight years there, we, we made the decision to leave Ireland and sort of we were half thinking about doing something different or going back to Australia where I'm from. And when I tendered my resignation at Clongo's, the Jesuit headmaster there, Leonard Maloney, sort of suggested to me, before we have Kids Boy FM, why, why not do something ourselves? And that's, that's why we ended up in Boston, just mm. for the experience of it. And as it turns out, it's really sort of transformed our lives because we're back here now. Um, and our son was born here, so it's become a big part of our story. So, you know, it, it, you know the movements of the spirit, that it works in mysterious ways sometimes, and, and we were just really lucky with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, uh, your time in Ireland. Yeah. You were working at Clongo's. Yes. And what was your position there? What, what were you doing? So I was a boarding master there. Clongo's is a really interesting school. It's, uh, it's out in uh, County Kildare, rural County Kildare in Ireland, sort of 20 miles west of, of Dublin. It's a school of almost 500 boys from grade 7 to 12, and it's full boarding. Mm. So uh, a real sort of town within itself, if you like. Yeah, And makes so sense. I went there as my first teaching gig was in London, and I had two years there and then went across to Ireland. And I was working as a boarding master there for third year, 15-year-old boys. Uh, I did that and, did, and, and taught some English and history and also coached some rugby. At that school, every boy plays rugby. It's like a religion. And so coming from Australia and growing up in that environment where I went to school, rugby was the big thing as well. Uh, it gave me an in to the school, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. And we, as I said, we had eight years there. And since then, well, I mean, that's the reason I came to Boston College. You so know, so the, Jesuit you touched education. on this earlier. Yeah. You said that there was a, a trans, kind of transformational yeah. moment or experience there. Yeah. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. I, I mean, I, I'm idealistic to a fault, I think. And, and I'm, when it comes to education, those who know me would say that, that, that I'm incredibly idealistic. And so even I've always wanted to teach. I've always wanted to be in education. And I have always had grand ideas about how that could look in terms of, you know, I use the word formation rather than education, and I really believe in that. And when I went to Clongo's, I wasn't educated by the Jesuits. I was educated by the Maris brothers and, and, and was blessed with a wonderful education. But when I went to this Je a Jesuit school, there was a real, how do I say this, like um, an align alignment of hearts. Mm. You know, and I think in any role or any job, I think it can be very powerful if your heart aligns with that of the institution or the school. And... You know, we use the language hopes and dreams in Jesuit education and, 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 and what Clongos hoped and dreamed for their men in the school in terms of the type of men they wanted to become is, is kind of exactly what I would have hoped for. Yeah. And so 
as I learned more about Ignatian spirituality and Ignatian pedagogy, it felt more and more right, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it was transformative of that. And I happened to be in the school when I was blessed with, with a number of wonderful Jesuits who were in the community, community at the time. Uh, you know, people like Bruce Bradley, Michael Shield, Dermot Murray, Peter Sexton. I mean, these guys. Just giving giving little shout outs there. Wa- just wa- no, they want. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. Uh, yeah. and, and they don't get shout outs, so it's good to hear. But they're <laughs> yeah. just just really wonderful men. And, yeah. and, and now, with the beauty of hindsight, I realise that they were forming me in their own way, right? Yeah. I wasn't aware of that at the time. I wasn't mature enough or reflective enough to understand that. But I, but I, as as someone who's leading a Jesuit school now, I'm, I'm acutely aware of that. So, you know, I think circumstances you just get lucky sometimes i happened to i happened to fall across clongos at a time when i was open to that and i'm still still remain open to it but also had the people there who could i guess guide lead form transform ultimately yeah so just just get lucky sometimes yeah and so i was just yeah hit the jackpot on that one that's so would you say that that's one of the most form formational moments in your life yeah i shouldn't say moment because it's an experience but experiences in your life most formative. yeah professionally yes i yeah. mean you know in, in terms of my per, you know um becoming a father is the single most transformational experience of my life oh right um, that yeah, yeah <laughs> personally <laughs> um but professionally this clone goes for sure yeah um and i think that you know w- w- when i i came to boston and then from boston we went to sydney and i uh, had a role as, as as sort of director of students or deputy principal of students at saint ignatius riverview and you know, our spirituality is very relational. You know, it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum, Ignatian spirituality. It, it, it's influenced by um, the input, input of others, you know, and that's mm. what's really beautiful about our spirituality. And so, you know, when I went to Riverview, Shane Hogan was a headmaster there and he had, and he had a similarly profound impact on me um, personally and professionally. So you just come across these people in your, in your life. And we do that as part of our communities, right? Because we, yeah. it's, it's, it's based on the sharing of experience. So I'd say Klongo's certainly, but also um, Shane Hogan at Riverview had a really profound impact on me. I love the shouts you're giving. Yeah, yeah. Well, these, these are people. I, I just love it. I, I hope mean, they listen. And I'm, they, I don't have to listen. <laughs> I don't know if they will, but like. We don't have to send it to them. But, but, but the thing is, it's, it's. It's the context, but there are specific individuals who do that. And no, it's I, about the relationship, right? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, not, I'm not giving them blind shout-outs unnecessarily. <laughs> no, so, no, no. Just so I, you know that. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you've had an, a number of, of educational leadership-type positions. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how would you describe how you lead uh, in general? Uh, I would hope people would describe my leadership as inside out. Mm-hmm. So uh, people who know me will, will often hear me talk about the heart. Uh, I think it's the centerpiece of a Jesuit education, and so I would hope I'd lead the same way. I'm very values-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty useless at putting up a facade. I am what I am. <laughs> uh, and that can be a good and a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. But I hope it comes across as real, or the, or the common language around leadership now is authentic, right? Authentic, whatever, genuine, yeah. yeah, whatever that means. Yeah, um, but for me, it's it, it's real and and, and it's heart driven. So, uh, I, I, w- I would hope that people would say that the responsibility I feel um, is obvious. I think if you if you're a leader of a community like ours, you have a great responsibility to the kids who are entrusted with caring for. Yeah, and also the adults who form them and walk with them. So 
I would hope that people would feel that that, that responsibility I have to them characterises my leadership. So, you know, I don't, I'm not particularly scientific about leadership. I've read enough about it yeah, to yeah. understand that for it, for it to be real and meaningful, it has to come from somewhere within and, and, and from a place of deep values. And, and that's what I'm talking about before. I mean, my values have been shaped by my experience in Jesuit education. So I hope that my leadership reflects that in some way, shape or form. Gotcha. So Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And I thought it was very well put. Yeah. Um, you, you talked a little bit about... Um, engaging or, or leading the, with the folks, the, the, the adults who walk with yes. the students. Yes. Um, talk about how, how you do that. How, you know, what are some things that you do to kind of manifest that principle? Uh, I, I think the first thing I try to do is, is draw the adults in the building back to, it, to our core purpose. And while we're here, and, and, and that's our kids, our men, uh, that's the one thing we have in common. We're, we're here to to form them, to walk with them, um, dare I say serve them, you know, and to model that at the very least. And so I think if we can get that clearly articulated and, and have that common ground, it's a wonderful starting point for any relationship. And I have to say that that's, people here feel that very in a really meaningful way. I think the other big thing that I've learned over time is to, that, that it's okay not to have all the answers, you know. Um, Education is it, it, it's evolving not not by it, it, by the minute you know it, it, it's it's constant because because our kids context changes so rapidly and especially nowadays mm -hmm. I mean it just changes so rapidly and I think if I rewound back twenty years ago I, I would feel as though good leadership was marked by me having all the answers even if I didn't know it pretending that I did and <laughs> I I feel now there's a nice vulnerability in not actually having all the answers or knowing that I can learn more from the people that my colleagues than they'll ever learn from me actually and so that has shaped the way I lead in terms of like I prioritize presence so if you know like not just a physical presence a genuine presence to people so I would hope that my colleagues feel as though I'm am, am consistently present to them in a meaningful way and truly listen to them so that's how I do it. I mean, you'd have to ask them if I do it well. I would hope they would say well, yes. Well, they're waiting outside. They've got a line to weigh in on this. No, I'm just kidding. It's simple, but that's, that's, that's how I do it. And I also think that's distinctly Ignatian. You know, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what Ignatian leadership should look like. Servant leadership. Yeah, yeah. But also one that's discerning and, and, and collectively discerning. You know, like I think sometimes the, the beauty of, of communities like ours is that when we discern as leaders, we do so as part of something bigger. And while there will be times where, as a leader, you have to make decisions because they fall on you ultimately to make it, you know, you should never ever have arrived at that in a solitary or singular way. And if you've done that, then you probably shouldn't, you're probably not leading the way you should. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't have to pull all the pieces together, but you, but you all, and it's also, it's not lip service, you know, like it can't be this idea of just, you know, oh, oh, listen, I'm really interested in what you have to say. You, you ha your, ha your heart has to be open to being moved by the conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's been times where I've had really clear ideas of where the school needs to go, and it's actually never ended up there because of the conversations I've shared with colleagues and students. And, you know, 20 years ago, I would have just stuck to my guns. <laughs> you know, I would have listened without listening. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, of course. And, uh, and I think that I've def that, that's been a big shift. Okay. I, so this is a really interesting concept because you're talking about having uh, a, a level of conversation with people that you interact with yeah. that is that can be difficult in, in today's 
society just because of all the stuff that's out there that's designed to distract us. Yeah. How do you how do you counter that? And I'm not even just saying uh, here at BC High where the kids you know want to be on their phones or they don't or whatever. Um, I'm just saying in general, you know, what do you do to try and have those conversations uh, and engage folks, um, you know, who have as many just uh, temptations as all of us do? Yeah, I think you a you've got to create space for it. It, it can't be something that's necessarily on the fly. Uh, it has to be meaningful space that's created for, for conversations of depth. And depth is harder to find now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like Adolfo Nicholas, uh, you know, the former Superior General of the Society of Jesus. I mean, he, he used to talk about the, you know, the globalization of superficiality. It's a, re, it's a real thing. Um, and so I, I think the, the opportunity, well, prioritizing it, you know. So if, if we have professional learning, what does it look like? Do, do people actually have time and space to reflect and engage in meaningful conversation? Um, but also, you, I, I, the world's, there's never been a greater need to make the world simpler, for want of a better expression. Uh-huh. And I think it's increasingly complex. So I've said this before, but the more we can be really centered and clear on who we are, why we are, and what matters the most, then I think that it makes those conversations much easier, you know, um, because it, it, it takes away a lot of the peripheral things. And, yeah, the world's changed, but, look, you were here in 04, right? I was. And the world's changed dramatically in, what, 15 years? I think about it, right? Yeah. But, like, what, why, we, why we are hasn't changed. Like, mm. you know, if we wind back 40 years, like, we were still trying to form a particular type of man, right? And the more we can get that at the center of our conversations and keep coming back to that, I think it shuts out a lot of the noise and shuts a lot of the peripheral stuff. The way we go about it's different because the context has shifted. But the why hasn't actually changed at all. And I would hope that in 150 years it hasn't changed. Mm. The way we arrive at it, right? It's just harder now to shut out the noise, uh, if you like. And it's about, like I, I say here a lot, the disconnect between the world outside and the world inside BC High has probably never been greater. Mm. So the message we say we, we're trying to send to our men is the same message that we've probably been sending for the last 163 years. However, the disconnect between the world they walk out the door into every day and the one they walk into has never been more disparate. Mm. And so how do you manage that? And this is, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about this. My logic is you nail your colours to the mast as, as hard as it ever been nailed. And this is who we are. We're Jesuit. It is countercultural. We're unapologetic about that. We are trying to um, form a particular type of man. And does it go against the grain of what leaders look like? No, probably. But we would say it's never been more important. So anytime you get to centre it on that, um, people use the word mission. I think sometimes that can be overused now. Um, and I'm really conscious of how we use it here, but I think it's appropriate in this context. Like the more we can come back to our mission in a meaningful way, it enables those conversations to happen in a meaningful way. I mean, I don't know if I've, I've been circulatory, but hopefully you get it. No, no, I, yeah. I've, I've followed you. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, so what is, since you've arrived, what's been something uh, that surprised you? The boys are really compliant. You know, uh, <laughs> give it three months. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and maybe that's it. I mean, you know, they're beautiful kids. Um, and yeah, it's right. They're just settling into the school year. I don't want 1,500 compliant kids. We want 1,500 really respectful men who stand up for what they, what they believe. And 
uh, and I think that's there. And I, I, you know, I, I just need to take time to get to know them, and I'm only building relationships with them. Uh, so that, but that's been a little bit of a surprise because the other Jesuit schools I've worked at, especially the big boys' schools, Riverview and Xavier, the boys were. Um, very comfortable in terms of coming to the office and tell, telling me about their school. The boys here are lovely when you speak to them about it, but they're not knocking down the door to tell me. And part of that could be the location of the office or otherwise, you know. So that just it's just a difference that surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it could also be a cultural thing. You know, Austra- Australians have a distinct lack of a th- respect for authority and... Uh, <laughs> and American, Americans have far more respect in that regard. So it could have something to do with the title in the office. Yeah. Um, but that's a cultural thing, maybe, more than else. But... Uh, it could also just be that, like you said, you're forming relationships. They're 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 trying to yeah, figure yeah. you out. You know, they're they are. like, oh, this is this guy, this new guy. Yeah, yeah. What's he all about? You know. Yeah, and they probably don't understand a word I'm saying, which <laughs> makes it hard in terms of the relationship. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there with that. I'll have more saying, mate, soon enough. So yeah, it's yeah. Fine. yeah, great. Um, so you talked a little bit uh, about the difference between in, when you're inside the walls of BC High and, and yeah. the world outside. Um, you, you know, I think because of a lot of the circumstances that have occurred outside these walls in the world, yeah. um, you know, it, I think there's, there's a, a, a focus, uh, a greater focus than maybe in previous years on, uh, the responsibility of, of men, yes. um, in society yeah. in that can be taken in a lot of contexts. Um, but in general, I think that there's been a, a greater emphasis on that. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that concept figures into how you're approaching this job. It's front and centre. So I feel really passionate about all boys' education. Uh, I think I've said earlier in this conversation that the, the work, there's never been a greater need in the world for good men, but you speak to 20 different people, their whole concept of what a good man will be divergent, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because... I think generally speaking, we're really battling with this whole concept of masculinity, right? Um, what a good man looks like. And it's really hard for our boys to shake a lot of those stereotypes and a lot of the bravado that goes with being a man, especially in a collective male culture here, right? Oh, because, yeah. yeah. Because there's perceptions if, from outside the place about all boys' schools. I've heard them since I've been here, you know, about BC High. They're just actually people who don't know the place, and it's incredibly inaccurate. You know, we've got wonderful young men here who are incredibly respectful, um, you know, and, and really aware. And so, you know... In terms of education, over the last 20 years, and for very good and compelling reasons, curriculum has been altered to um, raise the level of, of girls in our education system. And there's really good reasons for that because girls have traditionally been disadvantaged for whatever reason. Boys are t- you know, traditionally strong at math and science and so on. So there's this whole concept of feminising the curriculum. I don't like the language, but it's popular in terms of educational language, right? And I've got no issue with that, and I want to be really clear on that. But what has happened, unintentionally or intentionally, is that it has happened at the expense of boys. It's not about raising girls to the level of where the perception of where boys were. The boys have actually dropped right back. And so now I feel very strongly about the fact that boys are disadvantaged. Uh, 
from the outset that when they go into education, we know there's biological differences in terms of their brain when they start at the same time as girls. And so they're kind of on the back, they're on the back foot from the outset. And I know I understand how biased this, this sounds, but it, it is actually reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you look at that and, and, Girls are leapfrogging them into into colleges in terms of rates of acceptance, but especially into high tier courses. And our boys, in my mind, are being left behind a bit. Now, if you also put into the mix that boys are internal, they're actually really sensitive, despite the fact they look big and athletic. A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and there's this. Um, who's the guy? Uh, Kimmel, who wrote Guyland, talks about the armor the boys wear. And they're still that. Boys still wear this metaphorical armour because of you know, a supposed image they need to, to convey to the rest of the world. Throw social media into it and the way their life's scrutinised. I mean, you've got a pressure on our young men that has never existed. Mm-hmm. And so how do, we, how do we manage that? How do we support them? How, how can we get them to understand that you can be gentle and strong at the same time, actually, you know? Um, and give them permission to be that, but to speak like that, to, to uh, in a way, reframe what, what masculinity, what maleness looks like, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really difficult. It's not just a BC High thing. It's, it's, it's in all the schools where I've worked, um, and, it's, and it's a broader social issue. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I'm always cognizant of that because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell people that I, I went to BC High, and sometimes, every once in a while, I'll get a comment like, oh, is that place still all boys? Yeah. And I say, yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, it, there's a, not a skeptical eye, but kind of like a, really? We're, like, we're, we're still there in 2019? And what I, what I try to explain to them, which is uh, what you just put a lot of re- um, really good art, you know, articulation around, um, is that that the the school BC High taught taught me how to be um, compassionate, but um, you know strong, like you said, to be yeah. empathetic, yeah. but also to be have conviction. Um, it, it you know it, it, I think I think you were spot on. It, it's a it's a it's a burden, not a burden, but a, a responsibility that this place has. Um, because we do put ourselves out as yeah. a place that you know creates men for others and and, and things like that, um, but yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you on a, on a lot of what you t- just touched on. It requires courage, Rick. Like it, it, it requires courage to to engage in that kind of education because you know in, in a way it you know and I, I'm oversimplifying this that do we want them in great colleges? Absolutely. Do we want them with outstanding GPAs? Absolutely. Do we want them to win state tournaments? Sure. I mean, all those things are great, yeah. right? But we also have to... Those things of secondary importance in terms of the type of men. So, so what matters to me? Um, the type of fathers, the type of husbands these men become, you know? Um, the way they contribute in their workplace, in their community. And, and I've, said, I've, I've already prefaced by saying I'm idealistic, but that's the stuff. Like, yeah. that's the stuff. And if they happen to go to a great college and they get a wonderful GPA and they achieve a, a lot of physical outcomes here, that, that's fantastic. But mm-hmm. that can never, ever happen at the expense of, of, of the good man piece. And we want all of it. Of course. But the good man, you can't, the hard piece, I guess, is what I'm talking about. That's the non-negotiable. 
Yep. You know, um, if we if we have kids who have been here for four, six years, two years, whatever, however long they've been here, and they walk out with 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 a strong intellectual brain, um, mind, and and a heart that has no clarity over who they are and who they stand for and how they can lead and how they can love, then we're kidding ourselves. Like that's not a Jesuit education. Yeah. And so uh, it doesn't mean we can't do both, but it's hard work. And, and it requires a lot of courage to prioritize that, those things in a world that's saying, actually, in some places, you are your GPA. And we don't say that to our kids. They're much right. more than that. Yeah. Um, but that's hard and it's getting harder. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, What's your what's your vision for kind of where you want to go, uh, where you want to bring the school with you? You know what? Where do we go? Well, I mean, the, you're 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 you've got the you've got the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's make a memory. Let's do this. Oh, well, I mean, the first thing I'll say it's a wonderful school anyway, right? So if you do nothing, we've still got a great place and a great product, um, and we've got wonderful kids in the building. I think we're also at a crossroads. So I think. When I talk about our current circumstance and current context, it's inextricably linked to where I think the school needs to go. And I'm being non-specific here because I'm, you know, four weeks really into learning the story with our kids back in the building. So I don't want to to pretend that I can have a clearly art- articulated vision yet because that's that would be premature and actually irresponsible because I don't know the story as well as I need to. Um, but I will say one thing is that Catholic schools all over the world are hurting, you know, and so... One of the risks we have, and I say this regularly, is that I, I hate the language of schools being described as businesses, right? Mm. I don't like it. I'm an educator. Um, but I also understand there's a reality that's attached to that. I will always say our business is schooling, right? Schools aren't the business. Our business is schooling. But there is a business side to that. And in terms of getting boys in the door, you know, um, there's a perception around Catholic, Catholic schools for a variety of completely justifiable reasons uh, that that, they, that means they don't have the same appeal. And so I think that schools can have a tendency to get into what I would describe as an identity crisis. So, you know, we can't really roll the Catholic thing out or we can't really say we're Jesuit because how's that going to see we're not going to get kids in the door? I, I'm the complete opposite on that. What I say is that it, it's never mattered more a lot of the, the negative is not my church, right? Uh, I still think that families and parents and boys need an education that's actually really centred on Christ and something deeper and a specific type of sp- spirituality such as ours. And Ignatian spirituality is very accessible and it affords a range of kids to access it. So uh, if there's one thing in terms of vision, if I had the first six months just to, re- to come back to recenter on what I said earlier, like who we are and why we are. And if we can do that, uh, then I think that provides a springboard to, to greater things in terms of the vision. But schools are really good, and this is in the BC High thing, in terms of telling us what we do. Like say, we do this, we do that. Schools are less comfortable in having a conversation as to why we do it and how we could do it better. And if I think that, if I can fast forward 12 months and we say that we've had honest conversations about why and who we are and how we can do things differently and it may not be seismic changes but if we've then got a blueprint for it then i think we've achieved it i mean even you know our our academic vice principal kim smith's leading a a a conversation about our schedule at the moment 
right? That's mm. been that's been talked about for the last few years through academic council. There's wonderful things that have come about that, um, and it's more. That's than, not classified, right? We can, yeah, we can talk no, no, about no, that. no, no. It's, it's a couple, everyone knows about. It. Like, it, I'm looking at Colleen. I'm like, are we yeah. good? <laughs> no, but but the, the beauty about the beauty about it, right? It's, it's not. It's not. It's, yeah, it's a conversation about the physicals. It's, it's a conversation about how we teach and learn. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and they're really important conversations. And, and that, that's, that's not just the adults. The kids are part of that conversation mm. because they'll tell you how they learn. I sit down in the commons and have a chat with them at lunch. They're very happy to tell you how they learn yeah. or don't learn, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they're great conversations. I bet. And we should be having them. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little nebulous with that because, frankly, I don't have a specific vision, but it'll give, hopefully give you some insight into how I'm approaching it at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I asked you what your vision was and you said, well, I'm, I'm four weeks in and... I'm thinking camels or something like that. I'd, I'd be like, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, camels aren't on the right eye. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of that. Yeah. Randomly thought of camels. I, could, I know. I, I know. I don't know. Um, so uh, you played rugby. I did. Yeah. Um, what position were you? Uh, out half. Five, we call it 5'8 in Australia, but it's out half or okay. um, number 10. Fly half. Fly half. Fly yeah, half. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was fullback. Oh, really? I played here. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah great yeah. sport. Yeah. Yeah, fullback's a tough position. It was fun. Yeah. I, I really loved it. I, yeah. I didn't start playing until um, junior year. Yeah. And oh, that's a great sport. Yeah. It was, yeah. it's just, it's so underrated here. And I, I tell people all the time, it was, I, I you know, throughout my childhood and, and youth and whatnot, I played, I think, almost every major sport and, and a few that aren't major. Yeah. Um, and it was the most fun sport I've ever played. Yeah, it's a wonderful, and it's great in an all-boys school because it, it caters to all body shapes. Yeah, true. And so that's what's really what's really great about it. It's become very dangerous now. So yeah, uh, that that's it, it's it's a lot of young, yeah, certainly parents uh, don't allow their kids to play as much now. So and that's certainly being felt in Australia as well. Oh, yeah, it, really. It's very physical and and uh, yeah, pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah, definitely can be. Yeah. Um, What's what's a book that that you've read that had the like had an, an enormous impact on you? A Monk in the World, Wayne Teasdale. Okay. Yeah, so Wayne Teasdale was a, a brother who lived in uh, lived in community in Chicago. He's now dead. He wrote a book called Monk in the World, and it's very Ignatian without being Ignatian. By that I mean what he discusses in the book and what he promulgates has a very strong Ignatian faith, but, but he doesn't use our language. And I guess if I had to sum up the word, it, it, he describes how to be a contemplative resident in a busy world. And that really resonates with me because I often say, people say to me, you know, if, if we're doing our job, what will a BC High, you know, graduate look like? And people have their own things, you know, like I, but I love if, if they're contemplatives in action, Mm. You know, because that for me encompasses a lot. It, it encompasses a humility, um, a capacity to reflect, but also a courage to move and lead and act. And so Wayne Teasdale's book, he talks a lot about being that contemplative resident in a busy world and for our kids being able to shut shut out the noise, you know, yeah. that, that peripheral stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be able to go in uh, into their heart and to discern what's real, uh, is a very difficult thing to do. So that that's one that's really impacted me. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I would I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what is what's your kind of uh, how do you enjoy spending your time away from BC High? Family. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything in particular? I I mean. Yeah. Look, I've got, I've got 
Two, um, Isaac's nine, Paddy's seven, and Elsie's five. Uh, Wait, you have three kids? Yeah, yeah. So wow. Yeah, and and the boys are very big into their sport, and so I enjoy watching them. So like a Saturday morning for you is like wake up and get ready to do yeah do sports. Yeah, so they get they're over at Parkway in West Roxbury, so they kick the ball around there on a Saturday. That's uh, fun. And I'm happy to watch them do that and really enjoy that. And then we'll, we'll they, look. They're used to being around the grounds. I mean, we you know, these kids have grown up in Sydney and Melbourne, and then they, and in Australia the, the school sport starts at eight a.m. and goes to six p.m. And so these got these kids and, and Elsie now, is, including Elsie, our, our bub, um, she they're just used to being dragged from pillar to post on on Saturday. So we I go watch them and then they'd come here and we watch the varsity game wherever the football team would play so we, we just they just do that yeah and so they're used to being around schools and sure and doing that and they love it and it's it's something it's the part of my life that i can share with them that i enjoy doing and i think they enjoy they're at an age where they still do they're not bored of it as yet um but it's also wonderful for them to meet the boys who i walk with you know yeah and i had a really powerful experience um, a couple of weeks ago, our football team had their first game down at Mansfield, our BC High kids. So I went down there Friday Night Lights. I was pumped. I was really excited. I love like, games on Friday It was nights. great. Yeah. I, 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 I've seen the miniseries. I thought it didn't think it was a real thing. It's actually amazing. So I went down to Mansfield and I took my uh, took uh, took our sorry my our kids down there. And uh, it was the first week of school, you know. And our middle middle one, Paddy, had. He'd had an okay week, but it's a big change, you know, and, and it was he was pretty quiet, and that's really pretty unusual for Paddy. And, you know, it's it's this it's this thing. He you know, he's a very friendly guy, but he had trouble connecting in the first week and you know, it's it's hard. And so we went down to this game and, and at the end of the game I was standing on the sideline just you know, thanking our kids as they were walking off, you know. I mean, you know, win, lose or draw, you know, I'm just proud of the fact that, and I just love the fact they're out there throwing a ball or doing what they love and so I was thanking them and patting them on the back and they, you know, they were typically respectful and appreciative. And, and then one kid came up, Vic, Victory, um, the senior boy came up and my son was there and my sons and, 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 and daughter were giving the boys high fives as they walk off, right? You know, and uh, very- You know what's great about that? Very American is, thing, the high fives. But, but both- <laughs> Both people, both parties in that transaction right there were loving it. Yeah, well, I bet, I bet the, the, the boys were beautiful, but but victory stopped. I stopped, mm-hmm. and he sunk down to Paddy's level, my Paddy's level, and he gave me his helmet. He had a conversation with him, and you know, Paddy's mood just shifted. You know, and we often talk about our boys being leaders here. And I spoke to Vic about that afterwards and said, D, like, he had obviously had no sense of the impact of his action. And, but when I, th- I don't know, like when I think about that, like that's, that's what we want our men to be, right? Um, he's exhausted. He's just played his guts out and they've lost. Yet he was present to that kid for two minutes because it was the right thing to do. And that's the impact of that action is far greater than he could ever imagine. You know, and I don't know. I, I, so I, that your conversation was about what I do in my space with the kids and I draw them into my space so they get a sense of what I do um, and they learn more about me through the process. But a really beautiful um, out, I guess, corollary of that is the fact that my kids get to know our boys. And that's just one example, you know. But there have been others as well, you know, with the, with the Riverview kids in Sydney and the Xavier boys in Melbourne and... Um, I think I'm really lucky there because 
you know, my, my, my own kids can see, you know, it's a, like I'm older, you know, like they can see people who are still accessible to them, young men in this case, who are good people. So, you know, I don't, I don't do that. that. That's not why I do it, but yeah. it's a lovely, it's a lovely unintended outcome, I guess. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's what I do. So in, 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 a, in a way, BCI kind of, but this, that, as, a, as a principle of a school like that, it will, this, it will pervade your life. Yeah. It should, because I can't, I can't walk around here on a Monday and Tuesday and not walk with the kids when they do the thing they love on the weekend or, or stand on a stage or play an instrument. You know, I was at the choir this morning. I need to be there so I can have those conversations with them. That's what Ignatian accompaniment is. Yeah. It's not saying it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. That was a long response, sorry. No, but I, I, don't, I don't think we could end it on anything better. Okay. I, that story, no, it was genuinely beautiful. Like, yeah. That's, and, a, and, that's a beautiful story. And, and, and the best stories always come through our boys, right? Yeah. Yeah, and in little moments like that, hundred uh, percent, and yeah. that's and that's 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 why we 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 have schools like ours to form men like that. Yeah, uh, Adam, thank you for taking time. No worries, me today. thank you. This was awesome. I really appreciate. Yeah, I enjoyed it. that more than I thought. I'm not, not a big social social media guy, <laughs> no. but this is great. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, thank you to Adam Lewis for joining me today. Uh, just another another plug for homecoming alumni and family weekend. Really want to see everybody there. Um, I'm going to be there. And we're actually talking about cooking up a little something for the pod for that weekend. We'll, we'll see if it works out. Um, we're working on it. But in general, there's going to be a uh, varsity soccer game, bouncy house. I already talked about that. I'm going to keep talking about it. Um, there's going to be all kinds of stuff for alumni. Uh, it's going to be a great weekend. So um, come on by October 19th and 20th, uh, homecoming, alumni, and family weekend. We are officially calling all alumni to that um yeah that was that was a great pod um thanks again to adam uh thank you to Kristen, our our fairy pod mother i'm i'm trying out that new nickname i used to call her a sound editing jedi but now i'm gonna i'm just gonna call her fairy pod mother um thank you to her thank you for everyone at bc high who makes this podcast possible and uh thank you to all for listening we'll talk to you soon